Hey everyone, today Clara and I are talking about our favorite subjects, Benedict Cumberbatch and cats from the electrical life of Louis Wayne. But first, if your studio habits need a kick in the butt, Art Prof has everything you need, tutorials, critiques, and professional development. So, Clara, have you seen this movie that combines our two favorite subjects in the entire world, Benedict Cumberbatch and cats? The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. What did you think? Well, I watched it twice the first weekend. <laughs> so it was good. I mean, it was one of the very few artist movies where I didn't spend the whole two hours rolling my eyes, which is sort of a miracle. Yeah, I was, I really did not know what to think going into it because obviously I was going to watch it. How could I not? But the reviews that I saw were so, they made it seem like it was going to be a terrible eye-rolly movie, like you said, that it falls into a lot of tropes and certainly said, oh, wow, yeah, this is hitting all the Hollywood buttons, but it really touched me. I, I haven't watched it a second time yet, but oh my God, it, it was a beautiful movie. <laughs> Tell us in the chat if you've seen the movie, if you have not, and if you are planning to see it, because, okay, here's the thing. He doesn't look this good. <laughs> he's not like, oh, what? But we all know he's a really good actor. And the poor guy, I felt so bad for him. I mean, it was so sad. Like, all the stuff he had to go through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If any of you don't know the history of Louis Wayne... We will give you a little filler, quick history bite here. He was a famous illustrator in Britain that made, is, is, is in the history books said to be the one man solely responsible for making cats as a pet popular in England, which is wild to me just through his drawings, his illustrations of cats. He is the cat man. And it's interesting because he did go to art school. He went to the West London School of Art and actually he was teaching there for a little while, but eventually he quit teaching to become a freelance artist. And he was a bona fide freelancer. I mean, he did illustrations for all kinds of publications, but the poor guy didn't copyright his stuff. I'm like so sad for him. So he became this like wildly popular illustrator, but did not do well financially because he didn't have any business. Yep, because I'm betting you that they do not have business classes at their art school, which is something that we've talked about plenty of times on, <laughs> on Art Prof is how to how to take care of yourself once you're in the once you're in the art world selling your things so I he mean, could have he could have done with some art prof courses right clara there's no youtube but if you're around now you should watch our video on copyright law where i interview a copyright lawyer because he's an example of how you can get screwed as an artist and i feel so bad because his work is everywhere I mean, somebody, I think it was on YouTube, maybe it was Jennifer, who said that 
they had this shirt that had a Louis Wayne image on it and loved it, but never knew that it was a Louis Wayne illustration. And that just makes me sad because he was a brilliant artist, but he just didn't know how to negotiate contracts. And I'm assuming he sent invoices because how did you get paid? But still, it's really upsetting. Yeah. And also, I think he probably... He, he was definitely an artist's artist in the sense that he was really focused on just making the work. He was so prolific. He made thousands of drawings in a year, which is a ridiculous number for me. I only make, say, 30 paintings in a year, something like that. So, so I think of that and I'm like, what are you doing all of this time? How, how can you make drawings so quickly? But so he he just almost gave out these images or these, these drawings that he did, he would pay for things using the drawings. And so, <laughs> so he has both a wide quantity of drawings out there in the world, which makes them value maybe a little bit less, but also they, <laughs> anybody could take them because of the copyright or lack of copyright on them. And it's a real bummer because there are a lot of artists like that. Their work is so well known. I'm thinking about, I can't even remember his name. The guy that did those quintessential 80s Raiders of the Lost Ark posters that everybody knows and nobody knows who those artists are. So this is actually more common than you think it is that there are some artists, they are big household names. In fact, sometimes you know the name more than the art but somebody like Louis Wayne, it was the complete opposite. But let's talk about his initial inspiration because I know, Lauren, you and I have had many conversations about, well, how do I know what's my muse? What, what is the work that is meaningful? Why can I find that idea? And people ask me that a lot. Where am I gonna get my ideas? And I know you've done <laughs> your share of cat drawings but you told me you sometimes feel a little guilty about drawing your cats because it's almost like your artistic guilty pleasure yeah i i have this this guilt over the things that i actually like to paint because they don't seem intelligent enough or interesting enough i mean cats are are a meme on the internet a lot of the times so they're a pet there's something that i feel like is a little bit trite about them almost just as a subject and yet i love them so much and i love to draw them and they really i was just telling you clara before the stream started i really miss tour now that i'm back at school again and i just i, I miss them every day and so these these creatures that i love to draw they're a huge part of my life and just tapping into that that love and that weirdness, that personal like, is, is sometimes the secret sauce that makes your work interesting to others. And that was certainly the case with Louis Wayne, who had it even harder in the sense that cats were not even a lovable animal at the time that he was making them. They were a working animal. They caught mice. They were not really a pet, at least where he was in that particular time period. Well, and the initial reason he started painting cats was because his wife was ill. He knew that she needed some cheering up and he started painting their cat, Peter. And 
she just adored these drawings of cats. They made her happy. And I was like, that's so wonderful that that was his way of supporting her in a difficult time. And how is that not enough as far right. as meaning goes, right? Like who's to judge that, oh, it's gotta be deeper than that. I think that's about as deep as it gets. I mean, you're trying to help your loved one. Oh, that's that's the thing, Clara. And that's what I'm I'm working with right now in my practice is it's not just about the, the subject or what you see on the page. It's the delivery of that subject and what that subject means to you. So really, we're looking at the cats and we're looking at how jolly and and cute and cuddly they are in his images. But what we're responding to is that really heartfelt emotion in them, that act of, of care and that, that human sensibility that he's observing. Those are all the things that make us want to, want to have one of those on our wall. Well, I almost think the cats were a vehicle for him. They were his language that he used to express his ideas and emotions. And I love what Karen A says here, you can't get deeper than love. And there is, I think, a prevailing feeling in the art world that goes against sentimental subjects yeah. or even images that are humorous. Like, this is hilarious. Like, <laughs> like what are you doing? Look at that cat's face, the one that's about to be spanked there. What, it's like, <laughs> you know you've seen that face before on a cat, even though it's exaggerated. Well, the other thing is that he did not hold back with these images. Because if you're going to make a funny image, just make the funny image. Like, have you seen people who, like, they want to make something funny, but they're sort of embarrassed or they weren't always so serious enough. And so they end up doing sort of a halfway. But this guy... I mean, he just went all out and you can't help but just respond to how wacky they are. That's that's the thing too, Clara, is that I think when people try to be funny but embarrassed by it, they'd rather for something clever. But something clever is is such a punt in the art world. It's It, it doesn't, it, you're like, oh, this person is, is, they're doing a smart joke. Whereas he just had a certain sense of joy in making cats that go golfing or our teachers be really just joy is not even the right word because I feel like that almost goes back into that, that traitness a little bit, but it was a sincere uh, a love of both observing people because there's a lot of personification going on here and in different interactions, but also a sincere love of the cat. Tell us in the chat, do any of you have work you've made that you've been a little embarrassed about because you worried it wasn't what the art world wanted, maybe it wasn't serious enough, it felt too sentimental because I felt that way about my bread fairy drawings. It's like, I'm painting a hunk of cheese. I feel so shallow, but it's not really about the cheese. It's about the family and the community around that piece of cheese. And I think this is sort of a similar thing. Now. It's so interesting to look at the evolution of his style because we're looking here, this is an early drawing of a cat and it is not remotely where he ended up. Can you give us some insight on that, Lauren? 
This is a very cute portrait, very well observed, steady portrait of a cat, but he went through he went through several different phases of his cat drawing life. And some of them are very personified, but then towards the end, from what we know, because his work's all over the place, they get very psychedelic and geometric, kaleidoscopic. They barely look like cats anymore. They're, they're, they become cat gods or, or visions, and it, it touches on a whole other set of aspects of art making that are very different from those children's book illustrations he was doing. Well, here's the thing. If you look up Louis Wayne, he was confined to mental institutions towards the end of his life, but there is dispute over whether he actually had schizophrenia. But there is this theory out there that, oh, the reason why he created these psychedelic images was because of the schizophrenia. Now, I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't have any experience in that area. But from the artist's point of view, I'm like, why does it have to be associated with mental illness? Why can't this just be an artist's stylistic evolution? I mean, that kind of makes me mad because it's such a annoying artist stereotype that, oh, we're all insane and we'll do drugs to make our art. I'm like, this is just somebody who's evolving as an artist. What's your take? Yeah, there are a lot of assumptions that are both outside of the art world and inside of the art world about how mental illness is related to art and art making. And you go into this area of work that is maybe more rooted in a kind of abstraction. And there are certain types of abstraction. I think of German expressionism uh, or abstract expressionism that are really rooted in these or, or talked about in the sense of, of feeling great emotion, overwhelming emotion. And I've heard uh, stuff with expressionism being related to schizophrenia, which is, it's very strange that we use these words to talk about these modes of art, but then that reinforces the idea that, oh, an artist had to be mentally ill or going through a great emotional trauma to then create psychedelic cat drawings. These are not necessarily related. Anna says, so many different styles. As someone who enjoys exploring, I don't like to be contained. An artist like this inspires me. And it goes against what tends to, quote, perform better on social media. Because on social media, there tends to be this pressure on artists to focus on one thing, have a very easily recognizable style, and that if you play around in our an artistic chameleon that sometimes doesn't benefit you as far as getting visibility. But I love that his work changed so much. I love that he was not a static artist. Yeah, I think that there is so, because he drew so much and he was drawing all the time, it really feels like he has developed each part of his style into the most of what it can be, which is what I really love. He really put in the hours to say, get the most beautiful mandala-like cats in there. And he put in the hours to make the most, to make the most playful and jokey cats. He, he, he mastered everything that he set out to do. Garki says some of his later cats remind me of Tibetan arts and mandalas. That and also if you actually watch the movie, 
the Victorian era, they had all of those very luscious patterned curtains mm-hmm. and all the wallpaper. I mean, I can't imagine that that wasn't influential as far as his aesthetic as an artist. Yeah, during the turn of the century when he was around and alive, there were plenty of painters that were looking at what was coming out of Japan and China, for instance, in terms of textiles and and porcelains and all that. And so why can't Louis Wayne also uh, be inspired by stuff from different areas since that was already happening in the art world why why is it he that is the psychedelic madman i mean there's so many annoying artist stereotypes and actually i was glad that they didn't play up that theme in the movie i mean you do see at the very end they show all these stills of his finished pieces but they don't specifically say oh, stylistically changed because he was in a mental institution. (laughs) So I was glad they didn't do that. I felt like it was a lot more about his life than about his stylistic choices. But they do talk about stuff. He was in the National Cat Club. He was the president. He was the president (laughs) of the National Cat Club. Oh, he also went to America, too, in the early 1900s. And... And also did some illustrations there for a while to to bring the good word of the cat. And, <laughs> and wait, did you see those ceramics that he did? I had no idea he made ceramics. Those were wild. No, I didn't see that. You remember the part where he did like this, this stint where he did some ceramic cats. They were kind of futuristic. They looked like robots and then they sunk on a ship or something. <sighs> I remember the scene. I don't remember the ceramic cut, so I guess I'm going to have to watch it again. Yeah, yeah, you'll have to watch it again. Anyways, yeah, it just went so many different directions with the work. Ginger Cell says, there are so many wacky cats in art. They're everywhere. I mean, if you look back to ancient Egypt, somebody earlier said that cats are gods. I'll have to find that comment here. Charismatics, cats are gods, I can confirm. It's not an accident that they're all over art history. (laughs) Oh, I went to a show at the Japan Society back in, oh, must have been 2014. That was all about cats in Japanese artwork and in Japanese mythology. And oh, man, ton of cat content there. (laughs) It's awesome. I mean, I'm just happy that they covered so many different parts of his life because I've just seen so many annoying artist movies where it's just about, oh, they're so sad. Oh, they're in the studio. And and this one actually talked about, okay, him going to a fair to sketch on site because it was a gig he was given by the London Illustrated News. I love that they had scenes where he was actually talking to the art director because, I mean, today... We do that all over email, but it's sort of the same thing where they're like, oh, maybe I'll hire you. What if we, oh, we change this. And there's so many factors as an artist. It's like nothing ever settles down and is predictable, right? Although when I, when he, there's a scene where he is trying to get this job, convince 
this guy, Sir William or something, to hire him. And so he goes to the, the pool that this guy yeah, yeah. swims at. And it's like, hey, you got a minute? I want the job. While this guy is swimming, doing his awkward laps, and then this guy, the the guy that's supposed to hire him, is is like, can can you just let me finish swimming? And and Louis Wayne's like, oh, okay. And then does these very intense laps, practically drowning him in the pool. And I said to myself, oh, that is, that is not, that's not good art etiquette there. But I guess if that's what works for you, go ahead. Yeah, but the thing is, there's no correct way to put yourself no. out there as an artist. And sometimes you just have to do it. I mean, he got the gig, didn't he? He did. He did. It was very cute. It, it made for a very cute story. I mean, I suspect that a lot of you may be really connect with the guy in terms of just feeling so awkward about the business part of it. Because I know for a lot of people, <laughs> the business side of being an artist is very uncomfortable. And you watch him in the movie stumble through all of that. And I was happy that they showed that because a lot of movies about artists never even touch that piece of the puzzle. I mean, I'm sure even for you, you've been in this business for a while and it's still uncomfortable, right? It's yes, it's very, it's very awkward. And um, you, you always, it's so easy to feel like you're getting caught unawares in a conversation, like money is always uncomfortable. And because artists aren't really taught it and they're not generally naturally business people, it's easy to get taken advantage of. And he was lucky to have some people in his life, a few people that mostly tried to take care of him. Seems like that one guy that he worked for kept him on for a long time, as, as long as he could really. Um, yeah. Well, and that's not different than today, that you have to formulate strong relationships with people that are not, hey, can you share this for me? And that it takes time to cultivate those relationships. They don't happen immediately. And so I'm really glad that they showed that side of it. Ginger yeah. Cell says, never watch this movie, maybe I should. Well, yeah, so if you, <laughs> if you wanna watch this movie, Claire, did you watch it in theaters? Did you go to No, I watched it at home on Amazon. Yeah, I watched on Amazon too. So if you've got the Amazon movie watching abilities, you can see it there. I've got Amazon Prime, so I watched it there. Ginger Sell says, I was terrified to charge my aunt for some earrings I made to sell, but she wanted them. So yeah, I relate. I talk about business with artists a lot because we do streams here and I've done professional development workshops but I don't think there's anybody out there that's comfortable with it. So it's really fun. Well, not fun. It's <laughs> refreshing to see somebody who's really struggling with it. I mean, Lauren, didn't you tell me you were on a phone call with a dealer yeah. and tour? What did you oh. do again? Yeah, every, everybody's going to hear about this now, I guess. Yeah, I was talking with a, a person who is curating a show. And this is my first time I've not met him in person. Uh, I had missed a previous phone call, and so I was hoping to really make a good impression on this one phone call, but I was 
at my parents' house with Tor in the room. Tor is being fine. As soon as I get on that call, Tor is, is slashing at this wicker divider that we have. And I'm trying to shoo him away, but he goes back to it. He pulls the divider over with his claw and it hits a painting of mine. It hits some of Sam's ceramics in a box. It falls on top of Tor, so I'm worried about him, but I'm also just like furious because there's this crashing happening. There's stuff breaking and I'm supposed to pay attention to this call, but he can just hear me yelling at this cat like, Tor, Tor, stop it, you idiot. And so I came off as this very frazzled crazy person I felt like because I'm yelling at my cat while I'm supposed to talk about art. <laughs> Antonia says, how did you guys make those business relations when you were starting out? It seems like something so complicated. It is. I mean, how did you get started building relationships with people? I, first of all, I always treated my teachers and mentors pretty, pretty well and checked in after school. Yeah. Yeah. You were, <laughs> this is how I have my art prof gig is through Clara after I graduated. So there's that any person that you're learning from always be grateful for learning from them. Going to openings has helped, although it's not the only route to doing stuff. Instagramming, uh, talking with artists on Instagram, commenting on stories, saying something valuable and not just like, oh, I like this. Just, you know, it, it's hard. It takes a lot of energy to put yourself out there, but it does build up over time. You have to realize too that, Clara, you've had what, 30-ish years of experience now in this space, and I've had at least 10 at this point. So, it, it is hard for everybody starting out and you can't get discouraged by that. My suggestion, if you are all looking for help and support with that networking, join our Discord because I really do feel like a lot of the people that are there, I know a lot of them pretty well. And we've had very strong conversations and a lot of the voice sessions. In fact, we're gonna have a stage session after today's stream. And so I do think social media has changed things as far as networking goes a lot. But like what Lauren was saying about Instagram, don't just leave one word comments, like write something that somebody will actually notice. And I met Jared Krasowska online and he's been in a bunch of our videos. I've talked about his work and I interviewed him. So there is a lot of potential there, but you do have to be a go-getter. Do you think Lauren? Yeah. Hmm. Yes. You, you have to, you have to put in the effort and that can sometimes be easier for some people than others because not everybody is extroverted or not everybody knows the weird art world etiquettes that exist. But that's why it's really good to take some of your friends with you. If you're doing any of this, I don't, I try not to go to openings alone, for instance, I go with friends. I'm terrible at starting conversations with people. My friend Mark, I we have a we have a deal. I am the one that looks interesting, and he's the one that talks interesting. So people come up to me and say something, but then Mark's the one that actually runs the conversation because I'm like, and between the two of us, that's how we make connections. 
Karen has a good tip. If you are bad at doing business, having a good agent might do you good. 50% of something is better than 100% of nothing. Well, there's a reason why agents exist. It's because they can really take a lot of the stress off of your hands. But it's surprising that even getting an agent is hard, that a lot of the good agents are in extremely high demand and they don't mm -hmm. just pick up anybody. And so you can find that sometimes all that time you're spending trying to woo an agent, you may as well be trying to woo directly to the publisher or whoever it is yeah. that you're working with. So it really, really depends on the artist. Yeah, I would advise, I haven't had an agent. I know some people in some parts of the art world, an agent is more applicable than others. I think even just finding someone who's older than yourself through the Discord or through somewhere else, just find that mentor type person. And that is, that's the best resource I've found. Just finding someone who's already been through the first couple decades. Well, because your peers are important and they can offer a lot of really important support, like your friend Mark. <laughs> but the thing is, they don't have the perspective to look at the bigger picture. Because I know sometimes I have former students, they graduate and they're just like so frustrated. I'm like, dude, you've been out for three months. It's okay. You don't have yeah. a picture book deal. It's fine. And so I think talking to people that are, quote, ahead of you, as far as the experience goes, because it's reassuring. I mean, I think Jordan posted something on Instagram about how it's this meme about if you haven't won everything by the time you're 26, you're a failure. <laughs> Oh, uh, I guess I'm already a failure then. Well, I mean, are, you're not on the Forbes list, 30 under 30. Oh, I know a Rizzy person that did get that. And I was like, <laughs> but I think that that is, that's super important. Um, also that the person that is ahead of you doesn't have to be a fancy person either. They don't have to be someone that's famous making paintings in New York at, Gagosian or something like that. They can be someone in your town that is, I don't know, 70 years old that has sold artwork locally or has just had a practice that long. All the same things are mostly applicable across wherever you are in the art world. Thank you so much, Jill Kama, for the super sticker. We greatly <laughs> appreciate you. your support. By the way, we do have this stream about kitsch, which I think a lot of you will find addresses similar ideas about art marketability and specific artists and the way they were perceived. This Google slideshow is available. I mean, I don't need it. I've got Instagram for better. <laughs> <laughs> the YouTube video description has the link to this Google slideshow, and you can also access all of our slideshows on artprof.org. Our Prof has a podcast that's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. And Lauren and I are going to be doing a stage session in the Discord right after the stream. That is your opportunity to talk to Lauren and I on voice. You don't have to. You can just totally hang out and listen. But this is so much fun. If you have questions, we talk about everything during these stage sessions. Subscribe to our channel. Like this video. Leave us a comment about Benedict Cumberbatch's cheek Or cats. <laughs> and a thank you to our top Patreon supporters. We have a new supporter, Marta. 
I don't think I'm going to pronounce this correctly. Marta Marta who is helping us get us closer to our 6,000 Patreon goal. We put a big dent into it with the raffle, but we're still not there. We want to hit that raffle goal, not raffle goal, Patreon goal. And you get rewards. You get all kinds of fun stuff like access to voice channels and newsletters and snail mail. So everybody take a look. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.